welcome to the Where Does It Come From podcast. We all have so much stuff in our lives and we're starting to realise that the making, using and disposal of our items can cause harm to those who made them, the planet and even ourselves. I'm Jo Salter, founder of Where Does It Come From, creating kind clothes and textiles with a tail. I'll be talking with some amazing people who've made it their life's work to make a difference, creating businesses, campaigning, writing books and much more to help us understand and make better choices. This time I'm talking with Paola Masbury, founder of Myomiko Trust and Fashion Brand. Since 2008, Paola has been making positive impacts in Africa, using fashion as a tool to build skills and livelihoods. Hello and welcome to the Where Does It Come From podcast. This time I'm interviewing Paola Masbury, who is an impact entrepreneur and the founder of Mayamiko, which is a trust and a clothing brand. Paola and I worked together back in 2018 when we collaborated on Where Does It Come From's African project using organic rain-fed cotton, which was then tailored into our designs by Mayamiko's team in Malawi. Mayamiko hit the headlines big time in 2019 when Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, wore one of the beautiful Mayamiko dresses on her African tour. So, hello, Paola. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Joe. Good to see you. And a very nice tunic. I know. <laughs> I'm so Your glad you like it. Can see, can see it, but um, it's looking very nice. <laughs> um, it's so well made by your beautiful team as well. Oh, <laughs> as you nothing can see, less. It's lasting well. It's been it's a few years, well, three years old now. Yeah. Now, I think. Um, so you've been involved in fair trade for a really long time. You set up Miamico Trust in 2008, so you're one of the pioneers, really. What was it that triggered you to set up Miamico Trust? Yeah, so that's kind of going back quite a few years, isn't it? Um, yeah, so I um, have spent some time um, um, in Malawi, in Uganda, in Kenya, and in Ethiopia, working on some uh, educational projects at the time. Um, and the majority of the time that I spent in Africa was in Malawi. And I was working with uh, the Ministry for um, Women and Child Development. And as sort of as it, as it sort of happens, while working there, I... Um, I made good friends with the, the lady who at the time was the Minister for Child um, and Women Development. Um, and we really had some, some good conversations about women's needs and what might support them, what needed to change, um, both um, at a grassroots level, but also at a, as a, a sort of political level to really support uh, women, women development. Um, and obviously, when women um, are empowered, we know that the ripple effects are felt um, in the family and in their community at large. And so from those conversations came the idea to try and set something up together at the time with this, um, with this lady whose name is Kate, uh, Kate Kainja. And um, yeah, so Miami Trust was born and really the spirit at the time, which is sort of the, the sort of the, the DNA still today was to um, help provide women with choices. So we didn't walk in saying, you know, we know what you need, but we walked in and said, if you tell us what you need, we'll support you as much as we can. Obviously, Kate, as a local politician from a political point of view, and us as, um, you know, people that wanted to be able to make a difference um, on a more sort of grassroots level. Um, and so the trust started. Um, and one of the first uh, focus groups we had with, um, I think it was about 60 women from various um villages in um, a sort of province in, in central Malawi um, was quite interesting because quite a lot of the women told us that they wanted to learn uh, tailoring and sewing because they saw it as a skill that, that was flexible, that was helpful for them in their life, but also could earn them a living. It was something that they could do at home, but also work in a workshop or in a factory um, and sort of fitted around their other commitments as a mothers or carers um, and and so we started working with the local vocational training organization Tibeta um, and um, and quite quickly started uh, what we used to call the sewing academy um, and it's now the Miamiko Fashion Lab um, which is providing um, tailoring and sewing training and a recognized qualification at the end of the program for a small number of women um, yeah, and the program is just sort of going going now. 
the needs haven't changed um, in terms of sort of um, the skill being in high demand. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of how it all started. Wonderful. I've seen some beautiful pictures, actually, of your graduation ceremonies of the ladies being handed their certificates. And I guess that gives them opportunities. They've got something to show when they're going out looking for a job or trying to get finance to start up. Um, That's right. Business. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, the fact that they receive a, a, a qualification that is recognised uh, by the government and not just in Malawi, but also in the region um, is actually really attractive for them. Um, we don't have a specific age group that we work with. I mean, we tend to work with mostly women between um, sort of 16 and 30. But actually, we've had uh, we had students in the 60s, so grandmothers who have sort of come back to hone their craft. Um, but I think especially for the younger women who are planning perhaps to uh, move overseas and go and get more experience in a larger factory. Um, this is actually really, really valuable because it gives them something that they can sort of show their potential employers. Although we would like to keep them all <laughs> working with us because they're all so great. But, uh, but obviously this was part of the sort of ethos of giving women choices so that they could do what, what they wanted and what worked for them. Um, so the, the certificate is sort of part of that philosophy. That's really important. And I, if, I'm, if I understand it right, you're also teaching them business skills as part of that, aren't you? Yeah, so that was um, that was an interesting development. So um, a few years into providing the training, um, we sort of, you know, um, kept tabs on the ladies and sort of kept, they kept coming back for check ins and we kept monitoring how they were doing. And one of the messages that kept coming back to us was that um, it was great to have the skill. So to be able to be a tailor. Um, but what they were lacking, especially the ones that wanted to establish themselves as their own business, um, was more the, the sort of the business skills and, um, and the financial management skills, the marketing skills. So, um, so yeah, so listening to that feedback that kept coming back to us, um, we developed, uh, working with um, some local microfinance experts, a um, business and financial, financial literacy uh, course. Uh, which we invited all our previous um, uh, graduates to come along and now is being offered as a standard part of the training. Um, and, and it really sort of made a difference because that kind of understanding of how to manage finances, understand price points, calculate profits. Um, if you don't have that, it's actually very hard to succeed in business, no matter how skilled a tailor you might be. Um, and also when uh, women often club together in small groups and start small cooperatives um you know especially when you have those dynamics with multiple you know um directors if you like of the business or shareholders um then being really clear on the money side of things and the business side of things becomes really really important so um so yeah that was a that was definitely a learning that we developed through the years and then um yeah and then now is part of um, our standard practices that's really interesting. Yeah, no, I think um, you're right. I, I mean, anywhere in the world, if you don't understand how a business works, you, you, can have, you can have the best idea in the world. You know, you can have the best skills in the world. But if you don't understand about the profit and the loss, as you say, the price points, the stocking, all sorts of different things, then it's just not going to it's just not going to work, is it? Now, that's that's an amazing, amazing thing that you did there to help people. And do you keep in touch? Do you know what any of your graduates have moved on to do? Yeah, yeah, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's a small, it's not a huge scale charity, it's a small charity. So it's actually fairly easy. And, and everyone knows everyone. And uh, I think there's also a sense of pride when there's achievements around, um, you know, having started a business or now actually being an employer of other people. Um, so those stories uh, often come back. But also we have a routine of getting everyone back for refreshers on a regular basis. Or when new trends come in, um, we get everyone back to give them new ideas on products. So we did workshops um, on making jewellery, for example, using scrap fabrics, um, you know, so or, or at some point, um, this new kind of um, interior design furnishing became quite fashionable um, and everyone wanted to learn how to make them because there was real demand in the local market for this product. So, you know, we got everyone back in and did workshops and figured out how that whole sort of thing worked. So. So they just had an additional skill and something else to offer to the to the customers. 
Definitely. No, it's amazing. And and then what led from that? So that was 20, um, 2000, I would say 2008, 2008. And then in 2015, you started up the Mayamiko fashion label. So what, what made you decide to widen your offering into being a label as well as a trust? Yeah, so I think... Um, it, it was a number of things, but, but sort of to put simply, what we had realized was that we were getting some really good quality output from the the, the fashion center, the, the, the training lab. Um, and um, it was um, exactly like the one you're wearing. Um, and um, and it, it just sort of seemed sensible to try and turn the charity um, from a um, sort of donation-based initiative to a sustainable enterprise that would be able to fund itself through the sale of products that that it, it was producing. Um, and it was partly because I always believed in the trade not aid um, sort of uh, principles, but also that's what that's what our trainees were asking for. You know, they kind of wanted to understand the business side of things. They wanted to they sort of felt a great pride in being able to sell their products, not just within Malawi, but all over the world. Um, and, um, and I think also the world was starting to become a little bit more aware um, of topics around um, sustainability in fashion and ethics in fashion. And so I think it, it was an interesting time where, you know, s- certain niches of uh, consumers were, you know, were interested in buying the kind of products that we were able to make I mean it was all a little bit of a gamble we had to start very small with um just really accessories and it was more to test the process you know the logistics does the website work are people okay to wait how big or how big a size um, of an order do we need to get to the UK for it to make sense because obviously we're sort of looking at international shipping so both from an environmental impact but also from a cost perspective so so I think the first year was mostly experimentation and actually checking that people really wanted to buy those kinds of products Um, and then gradually since um, since then we have been adding a collection every year um, you know, sort of first one was very small, was a small capsule with, I think, eight pieces. So, again, starting very modestly. And then from then we started, um, yeah, producing sort of slightly more um, uh, comprehensive collections. Still one a year, um, just because we believe in being cross-seasonal um, and we don't really think that we need more than that, to be honest. Um, yeah, and then sort of, I guess, kind of gr- grown from there. Um yeah. You're very inclusive as well, aren't you, in your um, photography and everything. You have lots of models of different heritages and colour of hair and skin and everything in your design. Yeah, it's interesting because um, when we first started, we we, did, we really were not sure who was going to buy Mayamiko products because I think it's different when you're selling to the local market, but also to uh, tourists that might be visiting the country. You know, there, always, there is always that kind of, the psychology of the tourist that you buy things when you're in a place because you want to support because you love it in that context and then you take it back and you think oh I'm not quite sure I would wear it you know at the office or whatever it is that you know we go these days so I think it, it was quite interesting because we we really were not sure what age group we might attract um, people of what background and I think one of the lovely things about Miami is to see that we have a really wide um, um, customer base so anything from um, you know teens to people in well in in the 60s um, you know backgrounds and heritages from kind of all over the world we've now sold to 50 countries um, through the website yeah so you know um, places that we wouldn't have thought uh we you know we could um yeah we, we, we would attract any customers in so it's been a really nice um experience to see that um kind of the message has, has been quite universal um and so we try to make sure that we are as inclusive as possible i mean you know we're far from perfect and there's a lot that we need to do um you know to, to get better at it but there's definitely a desire to to continue to strive to get better in in, in that respect as well i think that's a that's a a classic social entrepreneur thing that I have myself that we're always thinking what can we do better how can we have a better impact which I you know I admire you hugely for saying that because what you're doing compared with a lot of other brands 
is, is absolutely amazing. But obviously, um, we're always thinking, right, we've done that bit now, move on. What can we do that's even better <laughs> than that? I mean, one of the reasons I love Mayamiko is the fabrics. I love looking through your collections and seeing the amazing fabrics. And I think for a lot of people, you see those absolutely gorgeous fabrics and but had to have them in designs that appeal to our culture I suppose you know our western temperatures <laughs> for one thing is, a, is a, a new a new sort of vibe because I think people in the past you'd see African fabrics but not in clothing that you'd necessarily think you'd wear yourself so that's what's a really exciting thing about Miamiko I think. Thank you yeah yeah we, I mean we try and um, you know we are trying to be um, a bit more varied in our fabric selection, but there's often choices that you make and some of them are about, do you work with local textiles or do you import? Um, and what are the compromises that you make? I mean, I think um, it, it's just interesting that, as you say, um, with every decision, there tends to be some sort of compromise in terms of choice and uh, um you know it might hit some of the values that you really want to represent for your brand but not the other so yeah. um yeah so it's, it's, it's always a bit of a, a juggling act there yes, um, but, carry on yeah no but the, the, the fabrics are definitely um one of our kind of unique uh, unique features and uh, we take great pride in choosing them with the entire team so um you know oh, it's nice. it's nice to get together and sort of brainstorm on the colors and the prints and sort of thinking what would work with what style um, and everyone has got really strong views so it's uh collections often end up looking quite different from the initial <laughs> sort of you know uh, when you, when you sort of um, lay them out on paper so, oh, that's yeah. nice. I know when we worked together back in um, 2018 because uh, one of the um, the main things was our tunic design, which we'd had um, we'd had done, and we wanted we were appealing to a, um, a certain age group, certain type of woman who would want a tunic for um, different things to wear. But then choosing which colours to try to have to match that was a really hard process. And like you say, it's something you need to involve a lot of people in, you know, customer groups and the, the team and everything to get the right um, fabrics. And then I, I don't know how far back you remember, but we had the we had big discussions about wanting to use organic rain fed cotton that was African, but then getting the print designs to match mm -hmm. onto that as well and, and also keep the quality. So it's, I completely understand it's a it's a complicated thing to try and tick all the boxes. And sometimes you have to you have to maybe compromise probably isn't the right word, but you have to try and choose which are the most important things at that particular yeah. time, don't you? Definitely, yeah. Yeah. And I guess every time you do something new you learn and then it's something that you can sort of, you know, put in practice next time. So Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's always a big learning, big learning curve, um, but a very exciting one. Um, and talking of excitement, uh, how did you feel when you saw the coverage of Meghan Markle wearing your Miyamiko dress? <laughs> oh, gosh, jelly legged. I think it's probably the, 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 the best uh, way to explain. Yeah, I mean, um, it was a surprise for us. Um, and, and I actually can't remember. I remember my phone pinged like frantically. Um, and I, you know, didn't like, I was just feeling it vibrating without sort of thinking too much about it. And then I looked and then it was everywhere. Um, and then suddenly, I mean, we had very few of those dresses for oh. sale. Um, so suddenly, we had um, so many requests for, you know, will we restock, be restocking it? And, um, you know, when is it coming and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so you know, it was hugely exciting. It was hugely unexpected. Um, we were sort of obviously delighted. But for us um, as a team um, in Malawi and in the UK, we were so excited because of her choice of when she wore it. Yeah. It was obviously the first day when she landed and it, she had gone to talk to um, um, a charity that worked on girls empowerment and, and she gave quite a powerful um, message then. So, um, you know, we like to think that this was all, this was all uh, deliberate and that, you know, the choice of the outfit matched the occasion, which, you know, whether it was deliberate or serendipitous for us, it was like a perfect moment where, you know, you have, um, role model wearing one of our pieces talking to young women about women empowerment so it just sort of felt uh, 
quite quite magical yes and and looking amazing in it as well I mean it yeah looked, it looked fantastic but I mean I, I know everyone was so excited about it because our, our local paper in Ipswich picked up on the fact that they knew my amico because you'd worked oh, with yeah. us so they then ran a piece <laughs> on it as well which was quite random I thought everyone was so excited about it and the other yeah. thing that um, I, I was having a look on um, the internet earlier on and um, it was I was reading an article saying that uh, although the, the dress retailed at £69, people were then selling it on eBay for £795. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. And, you know, as a kind of an ethical brand, I was thinking, oh, this is not ethical at all. <laughs> um, you know, but, but actually, I guess everything has a price and it depends on what value you put on things like always. But yeah, I, I do remember that happened. Um, again, I, I, I don't often use Evo, but I, I remember by the evening of that day, someone emailing me with a screenshot of uh, the same dress that selling for, you know, almost a thousand pounds on eBay. Oh. Um, and and I, I, so I remember thinking, should I, I need to do something about this. And then I tried to figure out who of the handful of dresses that we had sold, because that was, that was all we had, mm. might have done that. And then I thought, actually, I can't really do anything about this, no, <laughs> but it, it did you feel can't. quite strange. Um, yeah. You have to hope they made a big donation. <laughs> I know that that's what I, yeah, I think, I, I think we did a social media post, but we said, you know, hopefully whoever is profiting from, yeah. from this is, um, is sort of sharing some of that profit. Yeah, with you have them. to hope, you have to hope. But yeah. I mean, really, but, but the thing, the point is that her, Meghan Markle wearing that dress raised awareness, not only of the cause that she was um hoping to with the speech that she made but also all of the people involved in, in your organization and what was happening so um, yeah there was a lovely halo effect for other designers in Malawi yeah. which was really nice to see you know kind of to be able to share that um you know with others that you know we had either collaborated with or you know that we just knew um you know because obviously it's quite a small quite a small um scene there so um so yeah no it was um definitely an, a special moment and it, again as an entrepreneur it opened up a number of um sort of interesting and challenging questions because our model is to use um either locally sourced fabrics which tend to come in very small quantities and one of the nice things about them is that they're rarely repeatable and um, so that makes each piece quite unique um, or um, certified textiles but they tend to be more like your plain colors or dead stock which you know by definition is finite so, you know um, and so we had so many requests to produce it that actually there was one point where I thought should we try and recreate this fabric or something similar to this fabric? Um, because I thought the business impact that this could have on us, um, you know, could be massive. Mm. Um, and, and so there was a moment where I thought, what is, you know, what is the Miami core value to embody here? Um, and, um, and so in the end, we decided not to. We decided that we were going to bring back the dress um, in other you know, equally limited editions, small run prints, but that one was going to remain as a as a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with that literally handful of dresses in that fabric, um, and and then no more. So um, I think that's perfect because that's giving the message that as sort of ethical fashion social entrepreneurs, we're trying to get out there, isn't it? That it's not about I want this, click my fingers, it arrives exactly as I want it. It's about each one's individually made there's a finite number of each thing we don't need to have something just we don't need to own something just because we see someone else is wearing something and it's really nice and everything so there's a there's a whole a whole lot of things and we actually had a very similar situation um, back in 2017 because Joanna Lumley wore one of our scarves on her tv show um, Joanna Lumley's India and it had it was a pale blue cardi scarf with um gray elephants printed on it and it looked amazing and of course we sold out and we'd only made something like 40 in the first place of this design so they went and then it was that same thing people were saying could they have the same scarf and so we took the decision to make a new elephant scarf but with different colors of elephants you know because yeah because just because someone's worn that why does everyone have to have the same exactly the same one yeah and I think it's also become it becomes about you sort of supporting 
the brands and the values that your the people that you admire are supporting. So it's less about I want the exact identical thing, but it's almost I embrace the values that this thing represents. So it doesn't matter whether it's exactly the same thing or slightly different ones. Of course, there are always the, <laughs> the people that will want exactly the same thing. But I think yeah. it's sort of culturally, it's important to sort of say, actually, this is how these pieces come together. This is why we can't keep producing them. Um, and, and, you know, um, here are some other options uh, yeah. if you would like. And if not, then maybe you don't need it so much. <laughs> no, exactly. And the thing is, as well, they, they now know the name Maya Miko. And mm. hopefully th- that whole raising the awareness will mean that they'll come back and check. If they like that, they might like something else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we we talked a little bit there about different fabrics and I we've focused a lot on the fair trade side. But I know, Maya Miko, your whole ethos for the brand is to be very environment conscious as well as um, helping people. So can you tell us a bit about some of your planet friendly initiatives? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think this is a fairly accepted concept now that you can't really have social justice without environmental justice so um, I mean maybe seven or eight years ago when we first started about thinking about becoming a brand there was still this divide you know and people were still asking are you a sustainable brand or are you an ethical brand so meaning do you focus on doing right by people or do you focus on doing right by the planet and I think this is kind of no longer you know, it, it, you can't sort of think of it in that way anymore because the, the relationship between people and planet is so deep that, um, yeah, the, the, you know, you kind of need to consider everything, um, um, you know, if you're trying to really, um, you know, do right by, uh, you know, people and planet. So um, I think so there's a number of things. So we try and build circularity into everything that we do from the design phase. Um, you know, so for example, we try and design for maximum fabric usage so that there's no wastage. Um, but also so that once clothes are taken apart, you have sizable chunks of fabric that you can do things with. So it's not like tiny little bits that you sort of, um, you sort of, um, you know, can't really do very much with. And that's sort of tying into quite nicely something that we're doing at the moment where we're sort of working with a number of um, up-and-coming um, companies that are promoting repairing, um, alterations, uh, restyling, extending the life of your clothes, because actually with the way that we design, um, let's say if it's a dress, um, you know, if you kind of are able to use the entire fabric of the skirt, that's quite easy to turn into either a skirt on its own or you have enough to turn it into a tunic, into a top. So so actually sort of the idea that, first of all, we cut and we design, well, we first design and then cut in a way that uses as much um, as possible of the actual piece of fabric, but also that once the clothing are made um, and, and owned for a certain amount of time, for whatever reason, if people want to transform them, change them into something else, um, you know, they're designed in a way that facilitates that. Mm. So that's sort of what one, one way we do it. And then, I mean, it's very hard to be completely zero waste. So, you know, there's always a little bit of uh, wastage. Um, obviously, we try and minimize it. But with that wastage, I guess we try and turn things that, um, you know, might be considered valueless into something of value. And that might mean um, turning them into accessories. Uh, you know, like I was talking earlier about, um, little fabric, for example, earrings or necklaces, um, or sort of hair scrunches, or in other cases, things like the uh, reusable, reusable sanitary pads that we um, that we've been making for a while for the local community, for local schools. Um, obviously, period poverty is a problem everywhere around the world, um, but but it is also a very large problem in uh, many um, many. Um, African countries or developing countries, Malawi being one of them. Um, so, you know, we know that girls um, end up skipping a number of days of education because they don't have um, sanitary products. And so this was a great way of uh, supporting the local community um, efforts to get um, girls to attend school um, and, you know, sort of um, using some of our offcuts in a, you know, in, in a good way. Um, and then we've done a number of collections using dead stock or end of life um, textiles which are always quite fun and quite quite sort of interesting because um, 
they pose um, unique challenges because, you know, every bit of fabric is a bit different, the height, the width, you know, so it's yeah. a little bit like, a, um, you know, like an intelligence test, you know, what can you do with this? <laughs> um, and then obviously, as you know, um, for example, working with you um, using organic certified textiles and again, trying to do it in a way that first of all supports the regional economy. So the organic cotton, you know, could we could source it from India or China, um, but actually we chose to work with a partner in Uganda because I think it's really important to sort of keep the sort of ecosystem uh, region level um, supported. Um, yeah, so I think we, we try. I mean, the workshop is mostly solar powered uh, because actually sewing machines don't really need very much um, energy to to run. Um, and we converted all of our machines to have a, uh, having a um, sort of solar friendly motor, which means it doesn't use very much uh, very much power. Amazing. Yes, and you use yeah. a lot of nat. You, you tend to use natural fabrics most of the time, don't you? Yeah. So yeah, we we just have a no polyester. Yeah. Which, uh, which, that means that they'll they'll last longer. So all your wonderful plans about you know redesigning fabric into something else that will work. I mean, I don't know about you, but I find nothing more frustrating than when you pick up a a mix, you know, poly cotton, and then maybe mm. the polyester has broken up into little bits, and you can't then oh. use that whole piece of fabric again. Whereas if you've got 100% cotton, 100% wool, um, 100% silk, or whatever, they they last much better as a piece of fabric. Yeah, and they have that sort of nice uh, characteristic that they sort of adapt to the wearer. So you know, they get softer as you wear them. They sort of take your shape and all of that. So yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's really wonderful. No, it sounds amazing what you're doing. Really, absolutely amazing. I, I I love it. And so to have that mix, like you say, of environmental and um fair trade or people and planet sounds a bit more friendly but to have that balance together it is it, very hard to have them separately but it just to me they align so beautifully you know this this podcast is basically about stuff i know it's a, a overused word but that's why i picked it how we can make sure that all the things that we buy and that we use in our life has better impacts on people and planet so um, that's what we're why i'm holding this podcast while i'm having the conversation so what do you think paula as that needs to happen to encourage people and businesses to make better choices about what they buy and use oh gosh joe that's a million dollar question <laughs> um i mean Look, obviously, we have uh, we have a small amount of time to discuss a very big problem. <laughs> so I'm going to sort of try and um, and and I mean, I, I won't do it justice. I guess that's what I'm trying to say because this is a real kind of you know, it's it's um, a massive problem of our time. Um, and I do think the real issue is that we consume too much of everything. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it's sort of you know, you could say, well, that's all well and good, and you're sitting there trying to sell products, which I totally accept as a criticism, but I also accept that, um, you know, we try and and make sure that every time a product is made, there's a positive impact on the people that have made it, and as much as we can, there's a net positive impact on the environment. I'm not going to say that we're there, um, but that's definitely sort of the direction that that we're going. I mean, I do think on two levels, really. One is... um, us as consumers um, and, and brands talking to consumers, I think we, we need a lot more honesty and transparency. Um, you know, from the small brands to the big brands, we all know that fashion is inherently problematic, you know, there's the, whatever way you look at it. But it's also got massive potential um, and it's got massive value from a cultural level, from sort of being able to express yourself, um, also kind of creating opportunities if done in the right way um so i think we need a lot more transparency and honesty um in our communications with consumers i do think there's a lot of um challenges around greenwashing or half truths there um you know um and and sort of messages that are maybe a little bit um uh, yeah sort of um, designed to serve an agenda um so i think we definitely need a lot more transparency and actually kind of the, the guts to say, you know, we'd like to be perfect, but we're not. And these are some of the things that we're doing. Okay. These are some of the things that we know we've got issues with. And I think it's not always easy and you kind of need to be ready to take the criticism, but, um, but it's important. And then the other thing is that, you know, we need legislation that is effective and that is, um, that has got teeth um, because um, a lot of the, 
disclosures are voluntary at the moment. Um, the regulation is fragmented because fashion is uh, intrinsically a global industry. Um, you pass a lot of different jurisdictions. So there's, there's plenty of opportunities to hide or pass the blame or pass the responsibility. And I think we need a much more cohesive um, legal framework to make sure that, you know, companies are held accountable, regardless of where, you know, things might be happening. Um, so I think those two things, I, I think, are really important to the, you know, feeling empowered as consumers and understanding our power. Um, and, and on the flip side, it's sort of brands um, speaking you know, honestly about what they're doing. Um, and then the other one is um, obviously the kind of, um, uh, you know, the, the the laws and the regulations around uh, our industry. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And you summed it up beautifully there. A huge, big issue, but you summed it up beautifully. And I think as well, um, going back to your customers, individuals having the power and the knowledge, it's, it's about that... Um, yeah, it's, ba- it's basically about individuals having those deeper connections. So when brands like Myamiko and hopefully Where Does It Come From and many others are sharing the benefits in terms of telling people that by by doing this, you're actually contributing to livelihoods in Malawi. You're you. Th- this is why it's good. Not OK. This is why it's better rather than this is why it's good. Um, and we're, we're making some kind of effort. Maybe that encourages individuals to understand that when they're buying clothes from somewhere that maybe isn't sharing that information that they're empowered to make different decisions I suppose Um, it's it's about knowledge isn't it? it's about making a a decision based on knowledge yeah I think there's um, probably a sweet spot there between knowledge and data and actually an emotional connection because if you think about you know we all have that t-shirt that is like a hundred years old and it's full of holes you know whatever that might be your equivalent of a t-shirt it might be a dress it might be a shirt it might be a pair of jeans that you've got emotional attachment with you know they might fit they might not fit you might still wear them you might not wear them but you kind of can't you know sort of bring yourself to separate yourself from them because they've got that sort of connection. And I'm not sort of saying that we should all be hoarders, but, but there is that sort of really powerful value of, um, you know, wearing something that you love and that you make memories in. And there is that sort of, that means that you're going to keep something longer. You're going to treasure it more. It's going to be less of a commodity and more of, um, you know, something that you value. And I think sort of values are really important, um, word in well everywhere but in sort of uh, in fashion because I think um we for whatever reason we have come to a place where the stuff that we buy doesn't have a lot of value attached to it you know it's sort of uh, almost become a little bit of a commodity you sort of wear it maybe once maybe twice maybe you don't even wear it and then it's sort of on it goes and you sort of it becomes someone else's problem yeah. um yeah so I think there is kind of the real balance between having that information that makes you feel empowered and then also rebuilding that emotional connection. Uh, Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I mean, before I got into ethical fashion or whatever you want to call it um, at all, what I used to do when I was probably in my late teens and first half of my twenties, when I traveled, I would like to buy something from places, you know, and then I would always associate oh that's when I was in I'd love that then for years and years and years because I bought it in India or in Norway or something and that was my my special things it wasn't about the garment at all I didn't really care what the garment looked like on me or or anything it was just I felt happier and better and connected for wearing that you know and then like you say you build your own stories then you go maybe you go to a friend's wedding in a dress so you think oh that's the dress I wore to that wedding or isn't that amazing I love that dress and then if you feel happy you'll look better and then you'll think oh this dress makes me look really good because I'm really yeah (laughs) and also it sort of like removes things like this sort of stigma around repeating outfits I mean I you know um I I think actually a lot of people are sort of um really embracing this which is really nice to see compared to like maybe only a couple of years ago um it's actually it's actually really lovely to wear the same things multiple times you know and I think for a while especially sort of as Instagram became really big and then sort of a a, a real destination for fashion influencers there was a little bit this thing around 
oh, you know, you always have to be seen in something new. Whereas actually, you know, something really lovely about wearing things that you love that have got a story that, that you know, I guess they say make you feel good because of, you know, just how they make you feel. <laughs> um, so, yes, I think that's a, that's really nice as well. I think it is. And, and mending things. I love the culture mm. about mending things. So you say, oh, I've put this mend in here and I've sewn this and I've put this patch on this. And it, it adds your own individuality then, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so this is why it's, it's so lovely to see so many kind of up and coming um, so initiatives, whether it's apps or websites or services that sort of help in that, um, you know, whether that's by teaching you to make small fixes or finding really talented um, tailors or seamstresses in your area that can really transform something because you might really love the fabric, but for whatever reason doesn't fit anymore or, you know, you you have a different vision so it's really nice to see and I actually think that's really complementary to what we do mm-hmm. um you know it's um I don't see it as oh my god if someone repairs something they're never going to buy something new from me I actually think that increases the love that they have for us as a brand so they might not buy as much for uh, from us but they might recommend us to someone else yeah, so, you know definitely. think of us when they need something special um so yeah I think it's really nice to think of all these different ecosystems similarly with renting uh, or resale I think it's sort of a really nice um, kind of like I say ecosystem of um, services um, that support each other really Mm. yes definitely and it's a compliment I take it as a compliment if I if someone's wearing something where does it come from and you know sometimes the natural dyes they can fade a bit and I know probably when we first started up people would say oh this shirt's faded and I can't wear that anymore and now I see people wearing them they're a little bit faded and I think isn't that great they've embraced the fact that the color is slightly changing and it's yeah uh, they obviously love it because they're not getting rid of it you know they're keeping it so so it's quite a quite a special thing I think and you're right and about tailors I mean I think tailors you know there's, there's always been tailors for since, since they've been closed I guess but I do I do feel that tailors are coming back to the forefront now as part of a, a sort of a clothing uh, I don't know you call it you said ecosystem but that, that whole that whole thing around when you have clothes you alter them you make them fit you better if you put on, put on weight or lose weight you can change it or you can change the design or something like that in fact we're um we're just altering my husband um used to work in London a lot and he had he wore shirts that had uh cufflinks he used to wear cufflinks and my son is about to go into sixth form so he uh needs all these new shirts so we're actually getting a tailor to change all of the um shirts that my husband had that he doesn't use anymore to have button cuffs rather than cufflinks great there's a tailor doing that and I'm just thinking oh, I feel really pleased about that that they're going to have this new generation wearing the same shirts you know yeah no so that's think... really nice and I think there's, there's so many talented tailors and creatives out there mm-hmm. I think it's one of those jobs that I mean my granny was a tailor on my mum's side and my granddad on my dad's side was a mm-hmm. he he was um, um he was a um a soup maker so I think for us in the family it's always been kind of there but I think there's obviously been a time where like I said because fashion became so cheap it's almost like their their contribution was devalued as mm-hmm. well because the you know there wasn't really such a need for it but you know if you take someone like me who's shorter than most and I sort of need everything <laughs> um sort of altered um you know they are, they're like my lifesaver basically <laughs> um, and they make it they make things fit I mean I I bought um I probably told you the story before but when we were, we were going to a very posh wedding my husband and I a few years ago and I ordered a dress from Etsy that's a was a vintage 1950s silk dress and it's just oh, nice. absolutely beautiful but I couldn't do it up because if you think of women in the 50s they had those tiny waist, waist, yeah. waist yeah. yeah so I took it to the tailor um around the corner a few roads away and he basically managed to find some from from letting out the darts and things like that he managed to get this sort of few centimeters that I needed to so that I could walk and breathe and things and you would never know that it was done so skillfully you know it's yeah. absolutely amazing like how did you how did you produce that fabric from that dresser that I can actually wear it so it's, a, it's an amazing skill I really hope that I really see that they are going to be getting a much more of a lease of life now in the in the um, kind of more sustainable world that we're living in um, anyway one more question Paula and then I'll let you get on with your very busy life I'm <laughs> sure you have um, what are your next steps both for my amico and for you Paula in moving forward what is, what's the next things you have on your in your busy brain <laughs> um, so I think um, 
there's a couple of things. One is we're trying to, I was saying, you know, I guess we're sort of constantly trying to improve and do better. So there's a couple of areas that we're trying to tackle uh, from a dyes perspective and also from a sizing perspective. We're sort of trying to expand our size range, which has always been a little bit tricky for us because using 100% cotton sometimes, um, you know, it's, it doesn't give you a lot of flexibility, but we've um, we've really been trying to, you know, to, to work on um, on that. So there's, there's some practical things that we're working on. Um, there's also the fact that we realize we have built a bit of a community and it would be nice to be able to share that with um, others, uh, maybe young brands or artisans that haven't really you know, maybe been able to find a platform just yet. So we're thinking about um, bringing in more um, products from different artisans or different groups that are more aligned to our values. I think um, one of the things we learned is that people like um, uh, it's sort of a, a sort of a destination shopping experience. So, you know, where you might find your dress, but then you might also be able to find, um, you know, some jewelry or some accessories that complement that dress. It's sort of with similar values and you sort of can feel that that experience is is, sort of, is is one rather than sort of then having to go off somewhere else and looking for something and um yeah so i think we, we we're looking at, at that as a as an option um and then um and and then there's sort of another project that we're sort of working on which is kind of building on um something that I know you do as well, but um, that we did a couple of years ago and really resonated with our customers, which was um, using uniquely encrypted QR codes that mm. told the story yeah. of the product. Um, I think we were quite open-minded about whether that made a difference or not. Um, you know, we knew it made a difference for us because it kept us accountable, um, but we were not really sure whether that made a real difference from a consumer perspective, you know, whether actually accessing that information changed the way that they felt about us as a brand or maybe, you know, changed consumer behavior. And from the sort of limited experiments that we did, it does seem to have a real impact in terms of, um, you know, making more mindful choices, taking a little bit longer to make a decision, uh, connecting with the story. So we're sort of hoping to build a little bit more on that. Oh, and um, yeah, and just sort of seeing how we can, um, we can expand that concept. And again, maybe make it available to others from the experience that we've had. Uh, but yeah, so I think we're sort of, I guess we've been, there's an element of us looking inward and trying to get better, mm. but also there's an element of sort of saying, with what we've built can we look outward and and what can we share with others and sort of kind of grow the community and grow the impact not necessarily through products that we make but but sort of through you know community connections network whatever you want to call it so sort of um opening that up to to others mm. so sort of that that's really in, really interesting and i think i i I've feel like I've been on a similar journey I think because maybe we've been doing this for a while mm. you start to realize that other people are coming in and it seems daft for them to have to reinvent the wheel and do things that we've done and learned and they might as well not make the same mistakes perhaps that that we made but interesting what you say about the QR codes because it's nice to have um to, it's nice to have your sort of reassuring comment that people do value that because I, I must admit I find I mean the percentage of people that actually look up that scan the codes and look up the story is it's quite a small percentage of people who actually buy and my understanding of that from talking to people is they feel confident just because it's there mm. they don't actually just they don't actually need to to scan it and so you kind of think well why do we do it then but actually <laughs> you're right it's it's validating it from your own point of view and keeping you uh, accountable but also you never know when someone might be out somewhere with a friend they might have had something for a year and then say well actually no if you do this this happens you know and you, you never know when someone's going to look something up to you yeah you don't and actually uh, you so as in you can't predict it but yeah. actually it's quite interesting to then look at the data because you know I guess this is a wonderful world that we live in the where we can get sort of data about everything yeah. um you know it's um it, it's really interesting to see how long people spend on the page what kind of parts of the page they focus on and like only very recently um, and you know we did this as a pilot with 2000 pieces so it wasn't like you know um a massively large pilot um but only recently we had a, a 
blip on the system. And I, I got an email from someone saying, I can't scan my QR code. What's wrong with it? <laughs> and I, was, I wasn't expecting that. Like I yeah. thought, you know, no one is ever going to know that this happened. And we had this sort of technical issue for, you know, a couple of days. Um, and it was interesting to see that actually someone did notice. And yeah. what are the chances? Um, you know, and, and then there's other sort of, um, I guess, triggers that um, show uh, that people are engaging with the content and other sort of, um, you know, the, the number of people who have recommended us to others, because as you say, this is something that gives them confidence, um, you know, that there's that openness about, um, you know, our practices and things like that. So, um, yeah. No, brilliant. That's, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, no, it's, it, I think it's, it's that constant improving again, when you're a social entrepreneur or, um, you know, fair trade, whatever you want to call us. I don't know what we are really, but uh, <laughs> impact entrepreneurs probably the better phrase. But you're always trying to think of what the next thing is and what the next, um, you know, the next positive thing that you can be doing. And uh, I think you're right. Teaching others who want to to come along the same or similar journeys is always a good one. They'll bring something new in, and we can add that to their knowledge base that we already have, and then that makes very positive outputs for the future doesn't it yeah and then you learn from them because they've sort of come at different things with different kind of uh, perspectives and different experiences and you find actually I always thought that this mattered but maybe it doesn't matter so much because you know someone is doing completely differently and it's going really well so um yeah so kind of that exchange is really really nice to have it's really I I love hearing the new the new thoughts the new ideas you think god I'd never thought of that or that's that's an amazing amazing sort of way of looking at it you can get a bit entrenched can't you in, in a way that you've done things and then somebody else has a different way of doing things so yeah collaboration you can't beat collaboration as a way of um, making a positive change no which is interesting because it's not really something in fashion's dna i think it's becoming better now but mm-hmm. you know if you think about it it's always been about sort of secrecy and you know you didn't tell anyone who was producing your stuff just in case they went there and yeah. you know like um yeah i think it's sort of historically it's not really been a massively open industry um certainly not 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 everywhere but um but i think now there's definitely a lot more collaboration and openness certainly Mm -hmm. in certain types of uh, brands and 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 people which is really really nice it is it is no well that's that's um certainly what I've found, you know, the more you work with people, the more you can share ideas and learn from each other and everybody benefits in the long run then, but especially the people who we're trying to do it all to help in the first place. So it's always got to be a a good thing. So anyway, on that note, um, I'm going to say thank you so much, Paola Masbury of My Amico for joining me on the podcast. It's been absolutely wonderful discussion as always we could go on for hours and try and discuss everything but we obviously better not because you know there's other things that we ought to be doing really but <laughs> so thank you so much for spending the time I'll put links to my Amico um, on you. the page with the podcast so people can check out what you're doing I'll also put a link to our video of a few years ago when you and I oh, were yes. about the, <laughs> the African fashion so that's um, another quite good one but yeah thanks so much for spending the time it's been absolutely wonderful talking with you today Thank you, Joe, for having us and for helping sharing our story.